Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. podcasting again my favorite thing (laughs) I love meeting new people I've been editing a lot of podcasts recently um like kind of batch editing and um just feeling so grateful that like all these guests like make me a better coach (laughs) and when I listen and edit I'm like oh my goodness there have so many smart people in the world and they give (laughs) all this juice and value and wisdom uh it's so good so Welcome today, Kayla Hill, um, another social media connection. Thank you. Thank you, internet. Um, So glad to have you here. You have some professional expertise and some personal story. So we'll just see where that leads for our listeners today. I like to have my guests introduce themselves. So I will let you do like a more thorough introduction in whatever you think is appropriate for today and for the listeners and for this podcast. So, hey, I've at it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amanda. Really happy to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Kayla Hill and um, I guess my, my job titles, <laughs> how I like <laughs> to describe myself is I'm a love child, um, mm. first and foremost. That's how I came into the world. Um, I am a freedom doula a pleasure activist and mm. a receptivity alchemist. Mm. So I um, <laughs> I land in the juicy, juicy land of love right? and pleasure <laughs> and freedom. <laughs> That's where I find myself most often and help supporting others um, really come home to satiation mm. and freedom. Mm. Um, and and, and it, I really see this movement that that I'm supporting and many others are are supporting as well a lot of my work stems from um the 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 backs of of black feminist uh Mm -hmm. literature and Mm -hmm. writers and philosophies um within the black feminism Mm -hmm. space and so I as a carrier of that lineage um and origins, I feel, um, and I know it is my responsibility to continue that path. Mm. So I love to awaken the delights and the sensual and the erotic mm. into the space. Such good words. Yes. <laughs> yes. And change, like change the vocabulary um, yeah. that we're using to describe our lives and to and to narrate and tell our stories and so I feel like there's always an opportunity for us to shift the story and and, mm-hmm. to, and to recraft the narrative um, in ways that are supportive and um, ways that are personal and ways that um, provide a sanctuary of support um, and care and attendance, and in ways where the story has this space to grow and change always. 
Um, it's oh, not. I love that. Yeah, it's it's actually a fluid story. Mm. <laughs> so yes, I love the water element. I'm really into water. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> are you are you a water sign? I am not. I'm a fire sign. Ah. So I'm an Aries, uh, and I'm very like very much an initiator. Mm-hmm. Um, and water, it's funny, I'm a trained uh, marine biologist. Oh, so okay. Nice. I did get a master's degree in marine biology. So the water has always called to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it, 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 during that time in my life in particular, it, it provided me with so much, so much needed time underwater. I needed, mm, to, be under, I needed wow. to be under the water. I needed to be in, in silence <clears throat> and in just in a different space than really the the land, the world of the land dwellers. Mm. <laughs> it's nice to be amongst the sea creatures and the inhabitants of the underwater world during that time in my in my life. I love that. I am a water sign. I'm a Pisces. And mm. just recently, just this week, my son is watching Avatar. I don't know if you've seen the Avatar series. I have, yes. <laughs> and he was like, what's your favorite sign? And I was like, fire. <laughs> so I'm like the opposite of you. I'm The water is in me and I'm attracted to the fire. <laughs> yes. yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh, you said so many amazing things that I almost don't even know where to start. Um, I'm most intrigued by the shifting of the story and the recrafting the narrative and just this fluidity that we can allow for in our lives. Um, no matter what we've believed for how many years or told ourselves or told the world, like we can allow that to shift and change. So that is yeah. just amazing. Um, the combination of all your experience and in particular, I feel like this piece of like the black feminist story and in particular like the sexuality around that because I think that's so different than the white sexuality which is like very much out there in a in a I don't know like it has its own culture <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I really really just now I'm even more intrigued to learn about you and what you do so yeah. I'm sure I will be doing lots of googling after this episode but why don't you start by sharing um your personal story if you don't mind and why you would say yes to you know, an invitation to be on a show about abortion. And um, yeah, let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I really, I grew up in, I grew up with a single white mom. So I'm mixed race. Mm -hmm. My mom's yep. white, my dad's black. And I grew up with my mother, a white mm -hmm. woman who yeah. is an old hippie, <laughs> old, old hippie lady, wild witchy woman. Um, and all things, all things, sex and sensuality were, were per, permissible in mm -hmm. my house. It was a very yeah. free loving, yeah. open loving space. Um, I always had awareness whenever I had questions, they were answered. Yeah. Um, and so I was very aware and sexually speaking, I, you know, I had very 
very legit self-pleasuring practice for a very long time. Again, because there was never any kind of shame around it. There's a lot of information that my mom provided me yeah. around my body and, and why it feels the way it feels um, when I go down there. <laughs> um, so it was all, it was all very much normalized. And, and my mom, yeah. my mom's a massage therapist and healer. So yeah. she was around a lot of bodies and mm. she, you know, my whole body kind of lesson from her was like, you know what, Kayla, she would say, Kayla, I've seen thousands of bodies probably at this point. She's, she was a massage therapist for 25 years. She's like, I've seen thousands of bodies and you know what? Everyone's got one. <laughs> Like that, she's like, that's what I've concluded. That's Everyone's what I've learned. <laughs> I've learned. Everyone's got a body. That is like so good. <laughs> I'm like, okay. She's like, so it's not a big deal. And then she, because I'd be like, mom, like what? Because she's very, she would be so open and walking around naked, you know, a lot of the time. Like, mom, why are you walking around naked? And she'd be like, Kayla, everyone's got a body. What's the big deal? It's so good. Uh, it reminds me of those, like, I don't, do you have kids? I don't know. Yeah. There's like this series of books, like everybody poops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It reminds me of that. Yes. Everyone exactly. has a body. That's so yeah, good. Like, yeah. this is like the simplest thing, right? Like, let's just normalize the body. Why don't we just yeah. start there? <laughs> totally. Totally. Okay. Everyone's so, got one. How wonderful. Yeah. And also how not special. Right. Oh like, my gosh. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I had an Instagram post recently was, that was like, you're not that special. Like, <laughs> I love you. I'm here for you, but you're not that special. Yeah. <laughs> We're all in this. We're um, all in this. Okay. So yeah. how did that set you up for your experience? Yeah. So, yeah. so in, it really, I, I had my abortion in graduate school. I was, I was Gosh, I think I was 25. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because this was about 10 years ago. Yeah, so I was, mm -hmm. I was in 25. And um, I was in graduate school. And I knew the moment I got pregnant. I was yeah. in a, a long-term relationship um, with my ex. We had been together, I think, at that point for God, probably six years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, six years. And um, I knew it. I was like, you just got me pregnant. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, you did. He's like, oh, come on. I'm like, no, that, that happened. And then, so I caught it very early. Like, I think, you know, a week later, I took a test or so, because I think it takes a minute to get a result. It takes um, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, it was positive. And, and, you know, for me, I really felt that it was my choice, my body, my choice. Um, and it was a, a pretty easy one for me to, to say no uh, to having a child in that moment. I really wanted to finish my education and secure um, resource for bringing a child in. I mean, we were yeah. living in this tiny little cottage behind uh, our landlord's house. And, you know, we were, 
yeah, it, it was not the time. And so it was, it was yeah. pretty much a no. Um, and he was really respectful. He, he didn't feel that, you know, it was his choice really. Like he did, he did allow me to have that choice. Um, and yeah, and, and my gynecologist, I, I went to the university hospital, University of Miami hospital. Um, the gynecologist there was awesome woman, nice. female. <clears throat> yeah. Super cool. Super cool woman. Um, he was just like, wow, like you caught this so early. It's, wow. This is amazing. Um, I think it was like one of the earliest ones that she had performed. Like, yeah. um, I would imagine it's pretty common in all college, but even especially graduate school where they're just so busy and out of touch with their body and trying to get it done and distracted that it's like, oh my gosh, I knew I wasn't feeling right, but I just kept pushing through. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, I did a little ceremony because, so I think for me having this story, I have a, a story about souls choosing their parents. Me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that my mother really instilled in me. So yeah. she believed that I chose her. Mm-hmm. And I fully believe that I did. She's like mm-hmm. been one of my, <laughs> my biggest teachers um, yeah. in, this, in this lifetime. And, and a lot of my work stems from healing the mother wound and healing the, the patriarchal you know, toxicity that has created disruption between mothers and daughters. And so a lot of the work that I do now and facilitate um, really is for my mother and for the healing of all mothers. And so, um, you know, I I see such a deep connection in choosing her. And so this little one that, that chose me for a moment still remains like I feel like this soul is still choosing me Um, I just got chills (laughs) (laughs) that always happens when like the babies are like doing their little cheer up there yeah (laughs) I love it yeah and that was really helpful I think like having having ritual having ceremony like writing this little soul a letter Mm -hmm. like really having the opportunity to place and remove it out of the physical and into the spiritual and into the soulful gave it resonancy, gave it a space to occupy, gave it a placement um, that allowed me to really, to really be affirmed in my choosing. Mm. Um, So good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was really, really lovely. And, Mm. um, and again, like, yeah, I didn't really, share with many people um my experience this is really one of the first times I'm talking about it so how's it feel (laughs) it feels pretty good it feels good good. it's funny because I've walked I've walked a handful of clients through um abortions Mm -hmm. at this point now and and so they know like they they know the story um but yeah it does it feels good and and it feels um it almost feels like because now I'm really, I have intentions to have a child mm-hmm. <laughs> again, yeah. uh, 10 years later, I'm like, okay, like I really want to set into place over the next couple of years, um, 
the ability for me to, to have a child. And I planted yeah. that seed on the full moon on Halloween this mm. year. Um, I spoke that out loud for the first time and planted that seed. So this almost feels like a part of that process. Yeah. Oh, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that little one I know is still with me is still mm -hmm. choosing me and um, may or may not come through physically. I was just going to say that that's the cool thing about having these relationships with the, you know, the spirit of this baby. Um, and not everyone needs to, but for those of us who want that, like, that doesn't mean that that, that relationship will come through in physical form. It just yeah. means that you have it and that maybe it'll be a connector to, to the right physical child you're meant to have, or, um, I love that you said that, right? That doesn't mean, even though this, this baby is with me, the soul is with me, doesn't mean that that's going to be my first. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty wild and amazing. And there's, mm -hmm. there's just so much magic <clears throat> when it comes to these little ones. Um, yeah. They're, they're a direct link to source. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, to, mm. to be to be in space and time reality with with these little sprites, these little souls. Yeah, um, yeah. it's just yeah. You, really, you can manifest anything, and they will. I've seen this. I've seen babies do this um, through my work as a postpartum doula, as I was a postpartum doula before yeah. um, <clears throat> entering the online space, and. Um, I just see how these babies, <laughs> everything that they need will be materialized. Like, even if it's like last minute, like five days before the baby comes, like you, you get like, you know, the house clothes, the house I was just going to say that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I was a doula too. So I've watched it over and over and over again. I love yes. that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're just like mega manifestors, yeah. mega, mega, mega manifestors. Um, so, so I, I surrender to that gift, and mm. and I and I just open my hands to to grace, um, in in potentially maybe one day, mm. housing and birthing a physical being onto this yeah. planet. But I've. I've kind of had to, and I think that's been more through, honestly, more through my story around partnership and romance mm -hmm. than it has been around reproduction because mm -hmm. I'm pretty cool with the whole, like the whole thing. It's like, yes, I made this choice. I feel really confident in my choice of not having this child and it would be great to have a child, but I had a strong attachment of that to partnership. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so over the last 10 years, I've really had to dismantle that attachment yeah. to really get clear on, I think, bringing a child into this world. Mm. Can you, do so, you mind sharing more about that? Cause that comes up for a lot of my listeners. Yeah. Um, the connection between that experience and the partner and there's so many layers of healing I'd love to hear you speak more to that yeah yeah so um 
you know, I have, like I think a lot of people do, I think it's an epidemic in the world and it's kind of what I'm here to dismantle, <laughs> I believe, is this narrative around that, like the hetero, hetero monogamous culture yeah. that is really under the umbrella of patriarchy and capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I feel that there's this addiction and grasping to, I have to have the partnership. I have to have the child. Mm. I have to have the dog and the cat and the house and the white picket fence. And if I don't have those things, then I'm not successful and I'm not going to survive. And I think women in particular have been positioned in that programming to believe that those are the things that are going to allow them the survival and security of having a family. Mm-hmm. And so the whole concept of a family has been really like bottlenecked into this tiny, tiny, tiny iteration of what it could look like, which is yeah. man, man meets woman. <laughs> man, you know, takes care of woman, woman gets pregnant man takes care of woman and child, uh, woman takes care of home. Uh, maybe they have some pets, maybe they have another baby, but it's, it's very like limited. It's, it's very just like straight, yeah. <laughs> literally <laughs> straight, <laughs> straight. I love it. Um, straight. And you could disagree with me, but you can see how it evolved, right? Because like way back in the day, like way back in caveman days, <laughs> right? You needed the strength and the like power of the man to go out and get the food and come back. And the woman was caring for the child. And like, so now we have this whole patriarchal story that people like grabbed that and just like exploded it um but I think there's this fine line between like honoring the the human piece of yeah, that the, story yeah, the biology yeah like mm-hmm. what's the biological survival piece of that story what's yes. the patriarchal like uh you know first world systems <laughs> that <laughs> that used that story <laughs> yes. to their advantage um to the white superiority advantage and then um and then who are we now as humans we've evolved past that like we are not yes. cavemen and yes. we are not the white supremacist culture at least here in america right like that's and in many other countries too, right? Like to just say, like, I can see how that was, how it evolved, how it served people and no more, right? Like now we can have babies, we can have children, we can have families in so many ways. So many ways. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I think honoring the biology is really beautiful way to like put it. It's like, I honor the biology and I honor these biochemical responses in my body that happen out of survival mode and out of, out of wanting the species to survive. The species is surviving. (laughs) Really? Yeah. There's almost 8 billion of us. Check. Survival. Check. Check. Time for evolution. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's like, hey guys, guess what? Actually, biologically, we're doing really well. Yeah. 
really well. Yeah. So now we need to look at like what we're not doing well, (laughs) which has been this, these social conditionings and the socialization of our Mm -hmm. species um, based upon, you know, systems of oppression, shame, guilt, um, punishment, right. And, and really start to craft new paradigms and new ways of being with each other, of, of thriving with each other, of communing with Mm. each other, of loving each other, of growing families together with each other. And something that I love about Costa Rica is, you know, a lot of people who have come down here within the expat community that is alive and well down here are people who want to remove themselves from a lot of those structures and recreate their own down in the jungle, mm-hmm. which is has its appeal, but has its pros and cons too. Like yeah, it's not sure. as easy as one would think. It's not just like this dream utopia where now we're down here and just like there's, we don't use, it's, it's like not burning man. Like, you know, <laughs> burning man can only last for like however long and then everyone's oh. got to go back to work, right? So we're not completely able to extract ourselves from these extractive systems in this moment, but I think we're in a liminal space of potential and opportunity in this moment yeah. of really stepping out of one and stepping into another. Right. And I think that in, in an individual's pra- daily practice, you can start to rewire and recraft and remember you know, the truth that like, we are fully supported. We like the species is surviving. Like we've got this, like we are good to move forward. Um, and yeah, I think just, just dismantling kind of, and, and this is why I love queer space because queer people get this. Queer people right. have been doing this for This eons. is what they live. Yeah. This is what they live. <laughs> yeah. And so queer black spaces in particular are like, the bee's knees because that is an intersection of oppression Mm -hmm. that just has elicited so much imagination and creativity because for them to survive, they had, they had to go way beyond (laughs) the status quo. Um, and, and really create and craft models of success within Mm -hmm. this very topic that we're speaking. So read any queer, literature, queer black literature, and you will find representations of where this is taking place. Mm. And so I've, I've done some of that work, but this, that, that practice is a lifelong practice, you yeah. know? So, so in my own practice, it's like every single day, skillfully reaching into and receiving pockets of information and acknowledgement and platforms of people who are not platformed, of, 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 of whole communities and lifestyles that are totally available in this world um, because people have put in a lot of work to make them so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when, with the turning of that, with the turning of the light and shining the light on, on those people, there's this one book in particular, How We Show Up, Mm. Uh, by Mia Songbird uh, by oh. Mia Song. yes I, I know exactly who you mean yes reclaiming family friendship and community yes. I mean oh she interviewed um 
a bunch of queer folks for this for this book and it's yeah it's potent with information and knowledge and so you know I always want to honor just the lineage and the ancestry of that black feminist gift Mm -hmm. (laughs) oracle channel the black feminist channel is lit it's been lit for a long time and it speaks to a lot of ways in which we can just transition out of the patriarchal, toxic, white supremacist, um, capitalist models and really start caring for each other, Mm -hmm. really start cultivating communities of of love ethics um, and and re-stabilize ourselves because, you know, we need need that. We need that right now. We need those deep connections. And so my point being is that I'm less attached. I'm less attached to this picture of the nuclear family. And I'm more interested in the abundance of communal care mm-hmm. and how I'm receiving support and connection um, and pleasure and satiation through multiple outlets of relationship, multiple types of relating. And so I'm not as attached to this idea of like, oh, I have to like parent with my romantic partner. Like I'm, I would be open to parenting with another like gay couple who wants to have a child and we could co-parent together and our relationship is platonic, you know, it's not a romantic one. Uh, Oh my gosh. I have chills again. (laughs) (laughs) And imagine that child gets three parents instead of two right like it's just kind of like the more the merrier and why are we so attached to um uh you know the only people who are raising our children are like the two people right I feel like that's also really limiting for the children I think that the more children have access to adult caretakers that they can trust outside of their immediate families, the more apt those children are going to be when they enter the world as adults in trusting the spaces in which they dwell Mm. because they've been exposed to iterations of trust within the adult space from such a young age. And so I see this kind of transition of like reclaiming the village. Mm. There's also been a lot of trauma (laughs) Um, in the dismantling of the village yeah because like even the like the classic saying like it takes a village it's like there's a nuclear family and then there's a village outside of that (laughs) Mm -hmm. so even that like so common phrase is like no no I love what you said you said creativity way beyond the status quo and I think there's like especially um a creativity and a courage way beyond the status quo. And also like I was imagining as you were talking about this queer black space and this like recreation and the reclaiming and the restabilization, like so many good things you said, (laughs) excuse me. Like I'm imagining like for so long we've just been like stepping onto the stage or like there's a stage, I'm gonna step onto it. It's like, no, I had to build a whole new stage (laughs) And then I'll step onto it. And even that stage is like the narrative in the story, fluid and changing. And it's not like I'm going to build this one structure that's going to work for everybody. Um, Just, oh my gosh, so Mm -hmm. much good stuff. I love it. 
I was attracted to having you on to talk about um, reconnecting with your body and healing through pleasure and connection after abortion. But like now I feel like this piece about, you know, <clears throat> the next evolution of the family and the caretaker and the that is like so juicy and so good. I kind of want to just keep talking about that. <laughs> well, it's so, it's so pleasurable. So we, yeah. we are talking about how pleasure heals because yeah. embodiment is not a singular practice. Embodiment is a communal practice. Mm -hmm. So me coming back to my body after the abortion was in relationship. Whether it was in relationship to myself or other people, doesn't matter. There's a com whole community living inside of my body. <laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like there's a whole biological ecosystem that is my individual self mm. that is also community. And how often am I choosing to participate in that community mm -hmm. and connect with the pieces of myself that occupy that village that is my body. Yeah. Right. So really, I think as a biologist, as a trained biologist, I'm really apt to take things from macro to micro because mm, mm -hmm. even if you take it to the cell just one cell in your body there's a whole community within that cell <laughs> right so the pleasure piece the pleasure piece is communion mm -hmm. right deep deep communion and connection on any level, from the level of the cell to the level of the globe to the level of the universe and beyond, yeah. right? So it, it, there's, there's tiers that you can, can use to kind of understand, okay, what space am I occupying and where am I communing in this moment? And am I really orbiting in a space with people that I wanna be orbiting with? Um, and really, um, you know, I think pleasure, what pleasure does is it satiates, right? So it's mm -hmm. this, it's mm -hmm. this ability to be satisfied and satiated. And when we are satisfied and satiated, we are able to be instead of do. And so when we are being, there is this healing that happens because it downregulates the anxious mind, right? It brings you into your parasympathetic rest, digest, heal. And you're able to really downregulate, come to this space of there's no words, there's no thoughts. It's just a felt experience mm -hmm. that you begin to trust. You begin to trust beyond needing to intellectually mm -hmm. understand anything. And you begin to trust the biology. So there we go. Let's, let's bring it back to trusting the biology and being really humble about the aspects of our evolution that are working really well. Yeah. Like the biology is doing really well, folks. <laughs> so yeah. sink into the pleasure of that. Sink into the knowing. I mean, this bot this body right here. <laughs> That's one sexy body right there. <laughs> this body right here. It's a millions of years to to come to fruition yeah this body has been in practice for millions of years 
to come into this physical form. And that includes every single person who is living on this planet right now. Your body, your body took millions of years. This design, design is ancient and the highest upgrade, <laughs> right? It's like upgrade number 4 million. <laughs> yep. This is the 4 millionth upgrade. <laughs> I'm hearing your mom say like there are thousands, I've seen thousands of perfectly evolved bodies. <laughs> yes. yes. Perfectly and, and like, beautiful and functioning evolved bodies. <laughs> Yes, in all different forms, shapes, yes. sizes, colors, whatever. And, and the, you know, I always use this number too because um, I think it's interesting and you may have heard it before, but the likelihood of you being born, do you know that statistic? Yeah, well, when I hear it, it always like gives me the feels, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah, it's one in 400 trillion. Yeah. <laughs> so like we can move on now. You know what I mean? Like, so that gives us enough. That gives me more than enough proof that I am a walking miracle and that we are Mm -hmm. all walking miracles and that we can trust our bodies. Cause the fact that we're even here in these bodies is we won the lottery, you know, we won the lottery like three times, four times over. So what are we going to do with that? Right. So now it's like, now that we can be with it. So the practice of embodiment, the practice of pleasure is being with, being with the body, healing into that space of like deep trust Mm. with the body. And then now we get to move forward from that space. Now we get to act in alignment with the truth of our biology and we get to procreate or not, but we get to create anything that we desire when we, when we remember that, I think. I think that that is one of the most grounding forces is mm. really coming home to the body. And I find pleasure, it's just such a gateway drug. It's such a great <laughs> ga- gateway drug to liberation, mm. to freedom. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and this comes from, you know, Adrian Marie Brown's mm-hmm. work, Pleasure Activism emergent strategies she's like super legit in the transformative justice world Mm. um and the pleasure activist title comes from that that languaging that she so beautifully has channeled out into the world and you know it's just it's funny you know we she, she talks about this you know we live in a world where they sell us back our joy Mm-hmm. As if it wasn't already ours. <laughs> so that brings me to the, the question I wanted to ask you is like, what happens when we're not following our desire, when we're not in tune with our pleasure and our like, I carefully use the word purpose, but like in our being, what happens when we're not? How do we, what are some signs that we're not there and that we can take a deep breath and step further and closer to that embodiment? Yeah. I think a piece of like the deep trust that I've cultivated is, is in knowing that every single iteration of my experience is needed. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're ever like not on the path 
or not in your soul's purpose. Yeah. I think your soul is so intelligent beyond (laughs) intelligent that, that you can't really step out of it as much as we think maybe we have that power. I don't think we do. No, I would agree with you. So, but it's always in retrospect, right? It's always like, oh, I see, I see now, you know, yeah. in retrospect, why that, that, you know, car accident happened or why this abortion took place or, you know, why I didn't get that job or why that, you know, partnership ended, whatever the suffering or pain may be, we always in retrospect see it. But I think that there is a direct correlation between pain and pleasure. Mm -hmm. And I think that some indicators, I would say, of of misalignment or resistance to alignment with pleasure. Yeah, that's the word is the resistance. Resistance, because it's a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the resistance, like some indicators that you might be resisting this, um, are stagnancy. Because again, the fluidity of what I'm speaking to, the essence of pleasure is really a fluid state. Mm. Um, it's not something that's to be like, uh, you don't sink your, your claws into it and, and hook in and, and attach to it. It's almost like as soon as you try to do that with pleasure, it starts to dissipate. Yeah, totally. And you might've, might even notice this in the bedroom, (laughs) you know, like when you're like, oh my God, like I'm experiencing like this. So I don't, I want it to last. I want it to last. As soon as you start trying to make it last, it's like slowly like walking away from you. Like, oh my God, but wait, wait, wait. Like I was feeling this, I was feeling this. So the minute we try to start to kind of control it, it just doesn't work. And so I like to see it as fluid, water-like states of being. And I, and I think where where we're experiencing stagnancy, like where there's like kind of this like space of like nothing's moving, um, (laughs) nothing's changing. Mm -hmm. That's probably a space where you're resisting. Mm -hmm. You're resisting pleasure, you're you're closed, you're blocked from maybe receiving something in that space. And sometimes the pain comes before the pleasure. It's almost like how grief, um, you know, there's moments of like deep, deep grief that can ultimately create such a release that it's pleasurable. And so sometimes that catharsis um, needs to happen. And that catharsis can sometimes need to happen with a professional you know, a professional therapist, a professional trauma specialist who can kind of chisel away and break down those trauma blocks and bonds that we've created um, in a safe container to do Mm -hmm. so. And I would say that where I come in and the work that I do comes in is kind of like either during or right after that process. It's very similar to my postpartum doula work. Like I'm kind Mm. of like an afterbirth um, (laughs) transitional support tool. So um, I am not a trauma specialist. I am trauma informed. And so I can carry 
um, that information forward, but I, I don't specialize in breaking down trauma and releasing trauma in the body, but I do specialize in bringing pleasure and satiation and, um, you know, pract pleasure practice, daily pleasure practices into one's life when they, when they have opened up a space for that yeah. within themselves. When they said, yeah. you know, I, I real, I said, no, you know, I, I said, I said to my husband of 15 years, I'm ready to leave. Where do I go from here? That's yeah. where I come in. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like that's, that's, that's where I see myself stepping into containers with individuals after they've made a really big choice to open mm -hmm. themselves in a new way and yeah. to stop resisting and, and to, to go back into a fluidity um, um, and not stay in that stagnation. So it's almost like right after they've made the yeah. leap is where that angel swoops in and like, you're yeah. like, I, I just jumped off the cliff and like an angel caught me. That's my position. Yeah. And I think like the doula example is great too, because like there's the birth and then there's the birth of the mother right? And the birth of the mother doesn't happen at birth necessarily, right? It's like, you just had this powerful transformational experience, but now you need to birth a new version of yourself, mother to a child, mother to a second child, a third child, whatever it is. Um, yes. So, oh my gosh, love, love, love. <laughs> so good. I like, I, my notes here are just insane. <laughs> you said so many amazing things that this will be one of those episodes that you'll have to listen to more than once to like just soak it all in. So yeah, I'm all about marinating. Right? Marinating. It's, it's like one of my favorite words. Yeah, let's just <laughs> marinate in this juiciness for a minute before we cook it up, you know? Like yeah. let's soak in it for a so bit. So yeah. delicious. Let's just enjoy it. <laughs> mm. anything else you feel like I feel like I need to wrap us up just because I yeah seriously we could talk forever but is there anything else um from your own experience or that you feel like some listener right now needs to hear yeah I would just say you know like if you're struggling if if, if you're listening to this um and you're struggling with just coming out of, you know, an abortion or, or no knowing someone who's had an abortion or a partner or whatever, close friend. You know, I think that there's this beauty in the grieving process and in mm -hmm. there's this pleasurable aspect to grief that mm -hmm. I think is important for for you to know, for us to know mm. that when we hold each other, it's almost like that movie. What was that movie um, with joy and sadness as a cartoon? Oh, yeah, totally. So good. It's that movie where it's like, I you know, know what you mean. Yeah, Joy had no idea why sadness was around, right? Yes. She's yes. like, why the hell is sadness here? She just gets in the way. She has no purpose. <laughs> And it was like, joy, 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 joy. And I think when I say pleasure, it, people automatically say, well, that equals joy. Yeah. No. And we want that all the time. And we want that. That's what pleasure. That's it's, the it's goal. <laughs> celebratory, sparkly, light 
experience, but I think that there is a, such a depth mm-hmm. in pleasure that elicits almost this deep cathartic experience of release. This, and this is where like the BDSM and kink world also really get this and why, you know, that is so satisfiable and so healing for so many. Because when we can really go into the depths of our pain and the depths of our grief- mm. grievance, we find a release. We find, mm. we find an access. We find a, a key that unlocks a door that opens us to a new discovery of something about ourselves that we didn't know before. And there's so much pleasure in that moment of, oh, this is why. Or, oh, this is who I am. And Mm -hmm. sadness, when we are honest about our grief, there's so much clarity. It's like, oh, this is the honest truth of my, of my pain right now. And so I just invite, I invite that relationship of pain and pleasure because they come together. You can't mm. have one without the other. And they're almost like this dynamic duo that really work with each other. Um, and, and, and know that in your pain, there is a calling, there is a calling for satiation Mm. And there is a calling for fulfillment that is literally like the next turn around the corner for you. So, um, yeah, I just, I invite you to, to be open to that, even when it might feel super hopeless or like, where is there ever going to be any pleasure again in my life? Mm -hmm. Um, I just invite you to, to trust and open to that pathway. Yeah. Yeah. And I see in clients sometimes like this, um, well, I've been there. I've done that. Like I did the grief part. Why is it back? Or why am I feeling the anger again? Or where's the sadness coming from? Like I thought I worked through it. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's sort of the culture we live in is like, you know, you do it, you check it off the list and you move on. <laughs> so when we're like, why is the grief back? to be curious about that. Why is the anger here? Mm-hmm. That there is there is the ability to tap into something deeper and as pleasurable in a different way, like to unlock something as meaningful. There you go. Like as meaningful for your life. Yes. Yes, the meaning. Yeah. The, it gives it it gives it meaning and purpose and then I also think that you know there is a spectrum like emotion emotional body is is a spectrum and if you turn the channel up on one side you're going to turn it up on the whole spectrum yes yes if i'm willing to feel this pain i have access to that pleasure yes and if i'm willing to feel this much pleasure pleasure (laughs) i know that i'm gonna also be feeling this much pain but i'm not gonna be so attached right? So we don't want to attach to, to any of it because emotions, energy yeah. in motion, yeah. it needs to move. It needs to mm-hmm. move through the body. So we surrender to the emotional body and we let it do its thing because it knows what it's doing. And then we let it move through the body. And then we find that emotions, I think it's something like emotions in their just raw emotional state without an attachment to story last for 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. And then we like to really put a story and an attachment to it that sends us into a spiral so that they last for like 90 days. Yes. <laughs> for nine years. Yeah. It's like, actually, if we like, you know, and children are so brilliant at this, you know, allowing the emotions to move through them. Yeah attachment to Mm -hmm. to how they're making them feel and just really trusting the felt sensation um so that's yeah that that's pain and pleasure are so Mm. similar in their capacity for transformation I just choose to go through the pleasure door as often as possible because I have agency and choice in that and I find it to be a great way to um to liberate and to transform yeah yeah, and the less judgmental you are about the pleasure as you access it intentionally, the less judgmental you are about the pain. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Again, we could do this for I know. ever. <laughs> so good. I can't even. This is one of those times where I'm like, if like everyone needs to listen to this podcast, like <laughs> do whatever you want with the word abortion. This is like this juicy stuff is so good. So, so good. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you? Of course, I'll link to it, but. Yeah, so um, my website is inpleasurewetrust.com. Okay. Um, And then my Instagram is kayla.hill. And that's K-A-L-A-H. K-A-L-A-H dot H-I-L-L. Perfect. Yeah, super fun. Mm. I have... Oh, I'm just so excited for so good. I'm excited for, for your next yeah. evolution. And I do agree with you. I think that this was a piece of this next stage for you of, of welcoming in a new journey. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Feels it. Thank you. All right. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice 